Hey friends, Catlaw Hagquist here with a reminder that locally owned and artist operated bizbooks.net is still your best source for plays, acting books, scene books, teacher resources, and much, much more. And as you, like we, are clearly fans of Sabrina and YVR Screen Scene, we want to offer you 15% off your next purchase with the coupon code SCREENSCENE23. So come check us out at bizbooks.net. Sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social to learn what's new. And if you're in the Vancouver area, watch out for one of our pop-up shops throughout the year to come say hello and shop in person. Remember, Screen Scene 23 promo code is only available at bizbooks.net for a limited time. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain on the Vancouver film and television industry and celebrate its beating heart, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Rani Furminger. Today, I am delighted to welcome Lori Lazinski to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Lori is an acclaimed producer of Auteur Cinema, and she works closely with some of our industry's most remarkable directors to bring evocative stories to the screen. Among them, previous and likely future YVR Screen Scene Podcast guests, Elmaya Tailfeathers and Kathleen Hepburn. But today, Lori is here wearing a different hat, that of director. Lori is the director of A Motorcycle Saved My Life, a documentary short that ruminates on mental health, the often complicated relationship between parent and child, and how to negotiate a relationship with grief. Lori lost both of her parents very close together. It was a lot of grief in a very short amount of time, almost too much to deal with. In A Motorcycle Saved My Life, we learn how Lori hit the road on the back of a motorcycle to reconcile past and present and find the peace to be able to move forward. As she says in the documentary, if you're not present on a motorcycle, you're going to die. It's a powerful film, rich with nuance and emotional resonance that gives voice to taboo subjects, including grief and mental health, both of which are things we love to talk about on this podcast, while also serving as a kind of love letter to bike life. A Motorcycle Saved My Life rode the film. Oh, no, that was a bad pun. I'm sorry, Lori, but I had, I did have, I had to say it. Motorcycle Saved My Life rode the film festival circuit and on May 15th will be available for streaming on the National Film Board of Canada's streaming site. Lori Lazinski is with us today to talk about her journey with this poignant short. Lori, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Oh, Sabrina, thank you so much. I'm so grateful to be here. And I've listened to past interviews, especially with Maya and, and Kathleen and stuff. So I'm I'm really grateful to be invited. So thank you. Well, I am I am such a fan of your work, but today, or of your producing work, today we're going to talk about your directing work. How did a motorcycle saved my life come to be. Tell us the story behind the story. 
Yeah, it actually was a little bit circular in a way. I had um, a friend of mine was uh, that I ride motorcycles with was um, starting to organize a women's only motorcycle camp out on Vancouver Island a, a couple of years ago that was inspired by some events that we go to in California with a, an organization called Babes Ride Out. And in in her kind of, um, you know, we were just talking about it and she's like, you know what, do you want to, you know, do you want to make a documentary about this ride? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> so, we, you know, it was like a Saturday in March and it, I was actually in production of a feature film I was producing in Toronto at the time called Sugar Daddy. And um, I just, that that's, we were talking to Saturday morning and I just wrote up a proposal that day and I sent it to her. I was like, how about that? And she's like, yeah, that looks good. Um, so what I did was um, I sent it off to CBC Gem and I sent it off to the NFB, the exact same proposal. And um, CBC was interested in, you know, that, that women's only, you know, uh, ride. And I eventually actually made that film called the pilgrimage it's on CBC gem, but the NFB, um, saw something different in that proposal because my proposal wrote from such a personal place of like why I ride and why I think it's important, um, to really highlight the differences why women ride motorcycles. Cause it's different than men. It's really, really different. And so, and, you know, so I went in and I had a meeting with Shirley and Terry and Selwyn at the time who was still there. And yeah, we just started kind of talking about more of a, more of a POV doc, which is NFB. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. POV docs. So yeah. So they invited me to come in and have a meeting. And then I went into an investigate phase with them. And then we went into a development phase where and that's actually Terry and I went to Alberta to go and audio interview all of my family. Um, so all the voices you shoot that you hear in the film were actually recorded a year and a half before we went and filmed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and funnily enough, the, the day we flew back from Edmonton was March 13th, 2020, which was the day that COVID shut <laughs> us all down. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah, we didn't actually film most like film any of the visuals until August of 2021. What, what a journey. I knew yeah. it was going to be a great story behind <laughs> the story. You mentioned that there is a difference between, you know, just generally speaking, why, you know, what compels men to get on the back of a bike versus what com compels women to take to the road in that way. What, what do you see as the difference? What have you learned uh, is the difference? Yeah, really what I've learned is the difference is that, you know, traditionally in our modern history, you know, going back like three, 5,000 years, which is modern history in my world, uh, women are not allowed to be present, you know, with the responsibilities that we have, the oppression we have. And then, you know, if you add in, you know, um, like racism on top of that and classism, like I added in all the all the isms and, and frankly, most importantly, our safety, very few women are ever living in a present state. Hmm. So when you're on a motorcycle, you have to be in a present state. And I think that's, what's so unusual for most women. And I don't know. And I don't think like, you know, a lot of folks think about it as much as I do, but, or they do. And we, you know, we just have to have those conversations, but it's, um, because when you ask most women why they love riding and they say freedom and to me it's freedom from it's freedom from past and and forward thought mm. 
It's it's interesting, you know, what you're talking about and talking about being present and about um, being free um, to talk about that, those kind of dynamics and then bring grief into that process, which is something that I spend a lot of time talking about on this podcast because I looking at the grief that I've had in my life, I've seen it as not something to get over, but something to integrate into my life. And it's something that I only, unfortunately, I was only learned through the doing of grieving because we don't talk enough about grief. There's a lot of stuff we don't talk about. We're supposed, and grief is is right up there with all, all the other taboo subjects. I'm curious about what happens on the road and specifically how this time on the road impacts your grieving process. Can you tell me more about that? Because for me, that was the, I think I think of anything. I mean, there's so much that I love about your documentary, but really that idea of making a new making new connections with grief is what I was like. I was happy to see I wasn't grieving. I was happy to see that. Yeah, I mean, and I think it ties in a little bit into how I how I was raised and who my parents were, too. Um, But I think because I. I ride solo so much and I ride quite a long distance. Like, you know, it's not unusual for me to be like 10 hours riding in a day, you know, and, and on my own and just seeing new landscapes and like being completely, you know, presence, like with, with like, you know, the smell of like the smell of things like to me is one of the most incredible things on a motorcycle that we don't talk about, like how, what, you know, what it smells like. And, but I think, yeah, like both my parents were big road trippers you know, like, and especially my dad, like I really bonded with my dad on, you know, taking road trips. When I went to the Canadian film center, um, in 2005, I, I, I had, I had a big old Jeep. I had a big old white convertible Jeep and I rode across the country to go to the Toronto film center. And, you know, it was almost mimicking a trip my dad did when he was, you know, in his early twenties, because he went to a a technical college in (laughs) Toronto back in the sixties in a white convertible. So we had these connections. And then when I actually finished the Canadian film center, my father flew to Toronto to drive home with me. And it was like, like, it was like, it was such an incredible trip. You know, it's like classic. It reminded me so much of growing up. Cause you know, I went to pick up my dad and he already had like the cooler full of sandwiches and like all this stuff. Right. Um, and, and so like that, con- that keeps me connected to him when I'm on the road. I always think of my father when I'm, and I, and you know, and I, a little bit nomadic that way. We both were, we both bonded over that kind of adventure, you know, just being out on our own and being adventure. And then my mom was just weirdly so supportive of that, like me getting a motorcycle. Cause like kind of, I talk about it in the film a little bit. My dad was really, really never supportive of that, you know? Um, and I didn't, ride until after he passed. Um, but my mom was always, always really supportive. And so I find the juxtaposition of that really interesting. And I think about it a lot when I ride and I also named, you know, my travel bike after my mother. So she's always with me, you know, like I really, I really appreciate that because, um, yeah, cause we, I didn't feel especially close to her mm-hmm. in, in life and I wanted her to be more adventurous like me. And she wasn't, and there was many reasons for that, but, and a lot that I didn't understand and I didn't want to accept. Um, and I think about it a lot now, but it's also like that, you know, Carl Jung theory, just about like, do we live the unlived 
unlived lives of our parents. And that was something I really thought about a lot when I was writing my, you know, develop, like going through development. And I, I did write about that. Like, I do think there's an aspect of me that's living a life that she wished she could have had. And that mm. also brings me a lot of joy. Yeah. In that grief. <laughs> I mean, and I think that joy should be also part of grief as well. Um, I think we're scared about grief. We're scared exactly. of grieving because it's it's sad. It it's, hurts. Yeah, it hurts, and we're so afraid of things that hurt. But we all hurt, and we all need to like, we all need to just kind of share that, you know. And um, and it was kind of like what you know something that you said earlier, which I'm going to try and remember now. <laughs> it's just like, um, yes, learning how to live with grief because I, you know, in this Western society, I tried to not grieve. I tried to stuff all pain away Mm -hmm. in a little box and pretend that I never felt anything. And, and, and then when all of this happened and it's, and it's been released and uh, you know, I'm comfortable in that vulnerability now it's, it's an incredible feeling and it, and it draws people to you. Like I was writing a blog for the NFB this past weekend, that will be part of the release. And, you know, kind of, it's a little bit like, you know, what I learned through that grieving journey. Um, and it's like grief connects us mm. like, and that's kind of a beautiful connection. And and I really want people to not be afraid of that connection and long grief. Like I had that partner. That's like, when are you going to get over it? And I said, never, like, I'm never going to get over it. So how I learned to live with it is better, is different now though. That's the, that's the difference is I've learned how to live with it in a healthy way, which as I wasn't so healthy before. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, You're, you're in a a good, I I mean, for me, I characterize it as a relationship, right? Like it is another, and I, or I I used to talk about in terms of dancing, like I dance with grief and it's also how I do with my depression. These are all parts of me. They're not things that we like to talk about a lot, but they're just part of it. And I got to learn to negotiate it. And the joy of art like yours is that, you know, it, it gives us, well, another person's perspective in, in how they've dealt with it and how they are dealing with it. Um, and you know, a conversation starter, which we need, especially as you say, in Western society, because we don't talk about it very well. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that blog too, was just like, you know, just, it was, it was talking just about like those two days, those initial two days to get to the journey. Cause we, you know, we drove from Vancouver to, 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 to where I grew up in Northern Alberta. Um, and it took two days and like, you know, I was on my motorcycle and I was following the production van and that stuff, but it was the people we met along the way. And it was actually the grief that we encountered all along the way. The land was on fire. Like, so we had to actually take a different route to go to Northern Alberta that I wanted to go. Like I wanted to ride a different route that was that I ride on my motorcycle. That's more beautiful. That's not the (laughs) Coquihalla, you know, but we couldn't because of the fires. So there was the grief of the land. And actually being immersed in that, like as I was riding, like there's fires on the side of the Coquihalla and smoke everywhere. And I was wearing like a mask inside my helmet. And then like just, yeah, we would stop at gas stations and talk to people and they're wondering what we're doing. And like, and then they would start telling me their grief stories. Mm. And then, you know, and then unfortunately, sadly, our, our director of photography, Diana, learned that her grandmother had passed when we were on our trip. And so we actually had to stop and hold space for her which was a beautiful, beautiful sharing experience for all of us, you know? So it's like, but it was like, slowly, this was like, it was like, we were all meant to be there together to share that, you know, to experience that grief and hold one another. So I kind of grief, you know, grief invites us together as well. So yeah, it's kind of fascinating how it all works. (laughs) Yeah. 
Can we talk about bikers a little bit yeah. and uh, and biker life and motorcycle life? And I mean, I as I'm talking, I'm like, do I don't even know the correct terminology to use? What some misconceptions that you see that exist around around bikers and biker women, maybe specifically, you know, or maybe, maybe even misconceptions that you yourself held personally, you know, that you would like to dispel. Um, I think. Yeah, I think the always like the hardest one is the societal stereotypes that are put on women. Like we're not able to like take care of ourselves, can't handle, you know, these big machines. You know, you shouldn't, you know, the common thing is like, if you can't pick your bike up, you shouldn't ride it, which is complete crap because most men that ride those gigantic Harleys cannot pick them up. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen women pick those up. <laughs> So like, it's like, it's kind of all that stuff. So it's like kind of overcoming all of those, all of those um, tactics to keep women afraid. I think that's the, like, you know, I've, I've just, you know, for me, I was never afraid to ride a motorcycle. I mean, I'm very, you know, I was very fortunate to be raised to not have a lot of fear that way. Like, you know, to be honest, like my dad was a little bit hard on that. Like I just wasn't allowed to be afraid when I was a young girl, you know, mm -hmm. like I wasn't allowed to like be treated that way. Like, you know, I grew up on a farm. <laughs> I was like working heavy machinery when I was learning to ski, he took me to the top of the mountain and I had to come down like that, you know, and I played a lot of competitive sports where, you know, like just it, it's, it's 120% all the time. Right. And there's no, there's no time to be, it's like fear just holds you back in those circumstances. So and I also grew up riding a horse, which I find also very similar to riding a motorcycle. Like riding a horse is also, if you are not present on a horse, you are also in trouble because mm -hmm. they can sense it. <laughs> so that's also like a connection that I didn't really talk about a lot in the film was like how connected me and my mom were just because of her horse riding and my motorcycle riding actually connects us in a whole, in a, in a whole way um, because they both require extreme presence. Mm. Um, yeah. And so I think it's mostly, yeah, it's mostly just trying to block out all the noise of telling us that we can't do stuff. Cause that's just, and, and it's changed so much, even from like, I started riding like nine years ago, almost 10 years ago now. And like the amount of women riding now is just like, it, it's explosive. Like, it's just, it's just incredible. Like the difference. And I, I, I just, I, I, I think we're just in a massive transition in the world right now. And I think a lot feels like it's on fire, <laughs> like societal, like society feels like it's on fire and all these other, and the land's on fire and all these other things. But I do think we're just in a massive transition. And um, I think female motorcycle riders are part of like leading the way. <laughs> I love it. I mean, as I'm as you're talking, I'm imagining like society just like in transition with like a bunch of of mo women on motorcycles right at the front, just leading. Yeah. Charging forward. Yeah, I love it. I think that's terrific. And, <laughs> and having no fear. That's amazing. How does your time on a motorcycle on the open road impact the work you do as a producer? Oh, it makes me such a better person to work with on all levels. Cause it's like, I have, I have all of these outlets for my creativity, for my need to be in nature. Um, you know, and I think, you know, I think 
we as in our current culture don't understand how much our disconnection from nature affects us. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so for me, spending a lot of time in nature, um, definitely. And, and obviously living in Vancouver, that's, you know, that's why I live there, <laughs> you know, cause you're just immersed in nature as soon as you walk out the door for where I live. And that's really important to me. Um, but I, you know, it's, and also like, you kind of, you can't, you can't have an ego on a motorcycle. I mean, you can, and some do, you know, in racing and all that, that requires, but like, I think, I think you got to be grateful on a motorcycle because it's unforgiving. Like there's like you, you can't, if you, if you don't manage your ego on a motorcycle, you're going to die. And a lot of people die every year, you know, and it's even like, I ride with a lot of men too. And like, I just, you know, I just ride my own ride, you know, and like, I can keep up to a lot of them and I pass a lot of them and I do my stuff. But at a certain point when I feel the ego, I, I come off the throttle, you know, Mm -hmm. because you're like, this isn't a safe place for me anymore. And, you know, I think I'm lucky too, that I started riding, you know, in my (laughs) forties, that also helps. Like I have a little bit more of a, like, um, I put more value on my life and my body and my brain right now than I would have at 20, maybe, you know, so that's a big thing too. But I think, um, yeah, it's much, much, it's much easier for me to see my ego now than I used to. So that makes me a better person to work with, especially in, in, in the work I do, um, in, in producing and also in directing and, and seeing that, you know, all of us, um, our, our collaborators and it's not a hierarchy and it's not a pyramid for me. It's circular, um, our responsibilities and, um, it just really matters how I make things. Mm. That's, you know, a, a really good friend of mine is Lisa Jackson. And we talk about the word how a lot. How? <laughs> I, know how is it, is, as, I mean, that's more about the journey. Mm-hmm as opposed to like just stepping on people or cutting people down just to get to the product. That's beautiful. Yeah. Everything's a journey, you know, everything's a journey, but like in storytelling, there's always a destination. There's a, there's a delivery day. There's, I mean, it's deadline driven. Right. Um, And I don't think, you know, and so that brings up its own, you know, set of restraints and structure, but how you work within those deadlines and how you reach those deadlines it's just, you just reframe it, you know, and, and you got to take a lot of the ego out of it or understand your ego. And because we use it. Yeah. Like none yeah. of us, you know, like, you know, we, yeah. we need it, but it can be, it can, it can be, you know, a really bad friend to us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it feels like there's so much more that you could, so many more stories that you could tell from the back of the bike in oh, this yeah. world do you have any any other plans i mean and if you can't say any it's fine <laughs> you know but like are are you is this like you know only part of like kind of like an oeuvre of work you know that is ex- yeah yeah you're nodding you're nodding yeah yeah no i definitely have a trilogy in mind and i've got more in mind too but no i have um and i kind of like to say it out loud a bunch just so that people know that i'm doing it but i'm 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 writing like a f- like the ver a female easy rider oh! that's, what that's what i'm writing right now which will be a narrative and 
I'm uh, yeah, I'm writing it as a script and I do have money, you know, from funding sources to do that. Um, so yeah, I'm really, yeah, I've like, you know, I really love the movie easy rider, not because it's a great movie, but because of the feelings it evokes in a lot of us. Um, and also it was, it, it really shifted culture in a particular time, but you know, my film's going to be different because at the end of the day, it's not about, you know, two women trying to get free. It's about two women actually trying to learn how to belong. Mm. I can't wait. <laughs> Thank you. I know. I tell everybody because I'm like, I am doing this. No one's going to take Yeah, no, but I, mean, I believe I it. I believe it. I can't <laughs> wait till you come back to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> A motorcycle saved my life. How has this project impacted your own personal relationship to grief, if at all? Did it help you realize anything, you know, about, you know, what you went through and where you were and where you are? You know, because sometimes we don't realize what the journey actually, how we did things, you know, until we take a step back and we're like, oh, well, we did. That's how I did it. Yeah. Well, you know, to be honest, I really credit my producer at the NFB, Terry Snellgrove, because, you know, when we started this and like, I went through an investigate phase and then, um, and then when we talked after I delivered that and we talked about what the development phase would look like, she said to me, she's like, I think this film's about your mom. <laughs> I may cry. <laughs> I'm a crier. Okay. And, she, and you know what? <laughs> my production accountant just flashed me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm in, I'm in prep right now of a TV series. Um, yeah. And she's like, yeah, I think this film is about your mother. And I was like, oh, because I really thought it was about my dad. Mm. And actually me and my dad were really good. Mm. So I don't ha like, I, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, so that was incredible because I got to spend a lot of time really examining the relationship I had with my mother and finding through the making of this film and finding like to talking to my relatives that we were so much more connected than I ever thought. And Ooh, that gave that I have such peace about that now. Like mm -hmm. I wish everybody could just go through the process that I went through for the last three years, you know? And so I'm, I'm so grateful for the, like that day that Terry said that to me, like truly like that moment was a life changer. Wow. I mean, we still have, you know, even when somebody, somebody passes, we can still grow our relationship somehow. There are still things that we can, we can learn from them, you know, by looking within ourselves. I, I believe in that completely. Okay. I'm going to be crying or two. Um, what, what, how would you like people to feel when the credits are rolling on a motorcycle save my life or what kind of, conversations would you like to inspire with this work? Well, these it's kind of the exact conversation that you and I are having. I would love to do this with a million people, you know, and I've, yeah, I've had that, you know, and that's the, like, like just the pure joy of being a filmmaker is actually interacting with people that have just viewed your work, like immediately, like it's the best feeling in the world because even I've had so many wonderful conversations with people that have just come up to me after because we all feel grief, you know? So everyone has a way, everyone has a way to talk to me. 
And how amazing is that? And that's also very similar to being like a female motorcycle rider on the road. Everybody has a, has an in to talk to me because when I'm at a gas station pulling in and I'm sitting, you know, having a snack, everyone wants to talk to me. They're like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, it's such a great, it's such a great, um, it just, it really, it just takes any boundaries off of anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I really love that. So, you know, at the end of the day, I want us all to be, yeah, more open about grief, but also just like, if, if you have people in your life that are alive and you're struggling with your relationship with them, like Mm -hmm. really start, I've really exempt, like really look into it while they're alive, you know? And that's, and that's not saying like necessarily like, you know, that can be chosen family. That can be a best friend. That can be anything in your life because when they're gone, they're like, you don't, you can't have that conversation anymore. It's just kind of a one way. It's a one way. And there's a, you know, there's a number of things I do that I try to stay connected, you know, to my parents. And again, it's like naming my motorcycle and, you know, there there's things that, you know, like, where my dad grew up, like I love to spend like time on that land. Like to me, I'm so connected to him when I'm there. And when I ride, I'm so connected to my mother. And so it's like, I, you know, and I had, um, I'm trying to remember the line exactly, but you know, one of my counselors was really, really helpful for me during the edit, um, editing of this film. Cause I actually didn't realize how hard it was going to be to watch it every day for like weeks and weeks. Really? Yeah. It was really emotionally challenging because there's certain points you're like, am I making choices because like, I don't want, like they're, they're emotionally charged or is this the right, like, or is this the right decision for like actually the story? So there was a point there where I wasn't really trusting my instincts because I didn't know if I was like so upset. (laughs) Um, and then one of my counselors just kind of said, to, you know, said to me that um, death is a myth. And mm. I really, really love that. And <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, like they can be anything I want them to be. And I kind of, I love that. And so to me, after that moment, I'm like, I am good. I'm good. Like I have such a different relationship with death now. And like, I'm, I'm also very, I'm also very like good with my own death because I have to be when I ride a motorcycle or just in life in general. But like, as I said earlier, riding a motorcycle is incredibly unforgiving and I, and I need to be okay with every day I go for a ride. It might be my last and I'm okay with that. Wow. Amazing. I mean, I know I'm going to carry the film with me, but I think I'm going to be carrying this conversation with me as well. Journal. Journal about <laughs> death is a myth. See what comes for you. Hon- like, honestly, it, it blew me away. And like I, that counselor, is, she's incredibly powerful. And I only see her about once a year because she gives me such, <laughs> such things to think about. But that one has on, like that was just like a whole mental, emotional, spiritual shift for me. I mean, there's a part of me that when you started saying it, I recoiled a little bit. Uh, And then I was like, because it's death talk. But then it's so freeing as well. Mm -hmm. Because death can be anything we want it to be. Because we don't know. We don't know. Like, we don't know. And it's something that we're all going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we've done a million times. Who knows? Who knows? You can't, and you can't fear a certainty. So, yeah. 
Lori Luzinski, thank you so much for being here today and for this incredible conversation. Where can people find you and stay up to date on what you're working on? Are you on the socials? I'm a little bit on the socials. You know, I'm, more, I'm, I'm much more of a like loving seeing what other people do rather than posting myself. But yeah, I have uh, an Instagram that I can be found at and a Facebook. I, I have a Twitter, but I never go there. I haven't for years. Um, you know, I, tr- I try to spend my life in the real world as much as possible. And, you know, my website, violatorfilms.com has some of the work I've been doing. And yeah, yeah, I'm I'm out there. I'm easily found. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. And as of May 15th, you can find a motorcycle save my life on the National Film Board of Canada site and We will put links to everything that Lori has mentioned in the footnotes for this episode. Lori Lozinski, thank you very much. Oh, Sabrina, thank you so much. It's also my birthday on May 15th, so it's going to be a fun day. (laughs) What? Amazing. Uh, You should have led with that, okay? You should have led with that. Okay. All right, listeners. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for spending this time with us. YBR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me. Sabrina Ronnie Meta Furminger. I'm the only one to blame, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger Devilly for the original music. But Dane, you are a Furminger to me. Webber Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Find us on all the socials at Webber Screen Scene and at Sabrina Arf on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to podcasts for free and at our home on the web at webberscreenscene.com. That's also where you can find the footnotes for this episode. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! Hi friends, Kat Lawhequist here, and I'm excited to introduce you to thedramaclass.com. Thedramaclass.com provides online workshops and classes designed to provide inspiration and instruction in the sometimes overlooked areas you need to be successful in your acting career. Things that they don't often cover in studio classes. Things like tax prep for actors, the power of costume and getting a job, what to do if you primarily work on camera and find yourself with a voiceover audition, what you can do to adjust your performance to the camera lenses being used, and so much more. Maximize your opportunities by filling in the gaps that will make your craft your career. Visit us at thedramaclass.com, sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social, and explore what will take you to the next level.